The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church and Pastor Mark Ermler. Our theme in 2018 is Draw Me Nearer. And just as God was desirous to draw that nation to Himself through these feasts, we're desiring in our personal walk with the Lord to also uh, be drawn near to Him. Draw nigh to God, He will draw nigh to you. And uh, I have uh, thoroughly enjoyed uh, the first few opportunities we've had to look at uh, Leviticus chapter number 23, and I'm overjoyed uh, to be able to dive into this feast of the first fruits. Now, for those that have not been here as we've gone through the series, these seven feasts actually are God's eternal calendar. It begins in chapter 23 here with the Passover feast. And God's people were to celebrate yearly that Passover as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ, that perfect Lamb of God that would come to take away the sin of the world. And so as the children of Israel every year celebrated that Passover in remembrance, again, Exodus chapter 12, of the death angel passing over all the homes of those Israelites that were inside with the blood applied outside. And we see that great deliverance out of the land of Egypt. Well, through these feasts, we've learned a lot of wonderful truths concerning that Passover. Remember, this chapter taught us that there was four days that that lamb was set apart. Exodus chapter 12 teaches the same. And in those four days... The lamb is to be scrutinized, it's to be looked at, it's to be examined to make sure that it wasn't lame or diseased. Well, we see the Lord Jesus Christ, a perfect lamb, in, uh, as a perfect type, entered literally, and we saw this from the scripture, entered into the city of Jerusalem four days prior to his crucifixion. And it was there during those four days that the world cried out, Hosanna, to the king. It was during that time that the Sanhedrin looked at him, and uh, again, a false trial, but they had to hire false witnesses, liars, and he was examined. Before Pilate, what did Pilate say? I find no fault in him. And so as that lamb was examined, our Savior was examined and found perfect. Well, the Passover coincided exactly at the time that they were preparing the Passover meal. Uh, The Lord Jesus Christ was suspended between heaven and earth. Uh, There he gave up the ghost as the perfect lamb of God. We saw the Feast of Unleavened Bread last time together, and that was a seven-day celebration in conjunction with the Passover. And over those seven days, they were to deal with all the leaven that was in the household. There was to be none there. They were to feed entirely on the lamb and prepare for this journey uh, with the Lord, as a picture of that lamb, being fed And by the way, you and I as Christians today, we need to feed on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives us the grace, the strength to live the Christian life. Outside of his power, we would flounder. And yet uh, we see that that picture of the unleavened bread is a picture of the relationship that we can have with God. Not sinless perfection, 
But we do recognize here that as we are feasting on our Savior, as we are filled with the Spirit of God, uh, we don't have to fulfill the flesh. And then we come to our text this morning. Follow along with me, Leviticus chapter number 23. We're going to begin here in uh, verse number 9. And the Bible says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying... So there's a break. Although these feasts coincide together, uh, the feast of the Passover is then going to be laid over now with the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And in the midst of that week will be this Feast of the First Fruits. And it's described here in these verses. Verse 10, Speak unto the children of Israel... And say unto them, when you come into the land which I give unto you, and shall reap the harvest thereof, then ye shall bring a sheaf of firstfruits of your harvest unto the priest. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. Now let me say that again. On the morrow after the Sabbath. Now we know in the Jewish culture, the Sabbath, of course, Saturday, that was the time of worship. We saw that from the previous night, Friday evening at 6 o'clock, their Sabbath day started. It would go for 24 hours. And we recognize that that new day, that first day of the week, is what we would today call Sunday. And one of the things that we recognize during that Passover week, on the day following the Sabbath, we have the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So let me explain what's going on. The priests are going out to the field. They cross the Kidron River. They gather together uh, an armful of uh, grain that they take a sickle and they cut that grain. And that grain is now brought back to the temple. And that is laid aside until the high priest comes and gathers up that grain. And that grain is then waved before God Almighty as an offering of gratitude for the harvest. It was a, a, a gratitude to God for his provision, for how he's blessed the children of Israel in the new land. But there's a much deeper meaning as well as you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We realize here that the resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, about the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and our resurrection as well, by the way, in that chapter, that Jesus is the first fruits. Jesus is the first of the harvest. He's the first to be raised from among the dead. And the Word of God tells us that those that are in Jesus Christ will also have a resurrection day. Or we could say the rest of the harvest will be reaped as well. So this feast is pretty exciting because, again, the seven feasts, four of them are springtime feasts, and they are all in line as type to what Jesus Christ has already accomplished uh, over 2,000 years ago. He already died for my sin on the cross, the Passover. Uh, he's already empowered those on the Christian journey here uh, with his spirit 
to help us walk as God would have us to walk. Uh, He also has already risen on the day following the Sabbath uh, on the morrow. And that is the day that we're looking at here this morning as we dive into this first uh, first fruits celebration. Let's just bow in prayer, and we'll ask the Lord to help us as we study his word together. Father, thank you for each one that's here. Thank you for our guests today. And Lord, I do want to pray for uh, all of us as we open our hearts to your truth, to your word. Lord, we are lifting you up today. Our hearts are turned to you as not only our only hope through Calvary and, Lord, your blood applied, but also the resurrection and the power of that resurrection and the reality that we have a resurrection in our future. Lord, I just ask today that you would captivate our hearts and minds, that you would allow us to rejoice in your word today. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, we're going to look at three simple truths here this morning concerning uh, this first fruits feast. Number one, we're going to look at the recognition uh, that we need to make concerning the first fruits, the resurrection as we go into the New Testament, and then the final redemption. Uh, you know, I am saved because I've trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. But you know, there needs to be a redemption of my body. And that's not going to take place until the rapture, where God is going to call his church home. And I will have a glorified body like my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And that will be a wonderful, wonderful day. In the meantime, the Bible gives us some help and some instruction as we celebrate the reality of this first fruit. So let's begin with this thought of we see recognition. We see recognition. Now, first fruits is mentioned all through the scripture, and we're going to find it tied with so many different things, but here in Leviticus 23, it is tied to the harvest, specifically the barley harvest, the beginning of that first harvest, where in anticipation of an entire harvest being brought in, the very first of that harvest is offered up to God. So we're going to look at this in a practical way, and we're going to see, first of all, our recognition of really God's divine ownership over everything. You know, as a child of God, you and I must stand amazed before our God, recognizing that every good gift, every perfect gift is from where? It's from above. Everything that I have and enjoy is from God Almighty. And so when we look at this first fruits, it is spoken of throughout the scripture as a reminder to us. We ought to recognize clearly this principle of God's divine ownership. Genesis 1.1, we recognize God created it all. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. John 1 tells us all things were made by him. 
And without him was not anything made that was made. John 1.10, he was in the world and the world was made by him. This is all referencing the word, Jesus Christ, John 1.1. And so the creator God spoke and it was. And we, we need to recognize his ownership over it all. Psalms 24.1 says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So when we are pausing to look at this first fruits offering, we're looking at a principle that we find throughout the scripture that deals with God's divine ownership. That sheaf represented God's goodness. That sheaf represented the fact that God opened the heavens and sent the rain. And God allowed the harvest to come forward. And that sheaf was that which was given to the Lord as the first fruits, as God commanded it to be. And so there's a lesson for you and I to recognize, first of all, God has ownership on everything in our life. We are bought with a price, the Bible says. We belong to Him, lock, stock, and barrel. When I received the Lord Jesus Christ, He got all of me. And, and I belong to him, and he belongs to me. And the principle in God's word is his divine ownership. Listen, aren't you glad that you belong to the Lord? Not just as a, uh, as a commodity, but as a child. <laughs> the Bible tells us that we are his children if we've come by faith through Jesus Christ and his shed blood to God the Father. He's the great mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the one that laid down his life, that shed his blood, so that we could be reconciled to a holy God. And all the blessing, as we look at this festival, we're looking in recognition of, number one, his divine ownership, but also this principle of human stewardship. What is it saying to you and I as we recognize God's ownership? What we're recognizing is that God ought to be first. That he ought to get the best and he ought to get the first. And this first fruits is really nothing more than a demonstration of a heart in love with God. This giving of the first fruits is recognizing that, boy, he has provided it all. And I have the privilege to just give back to him what he's given to me. Let me have you read verse number 14 with me of Levit Levit Leviticus chapter 23. And ye shall eat neither bread nor parched corn nor green ears until the selfsame day that ye have brought an offering unto your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. What is that verse teaching God's people? God's first. He says, don't eat it. This is Moses through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Don't eat bread, which is the byproduct of this uh, grain. Don't do it. Uh, or parched corn. Or green ears fresh off the stock. God said, it's not yours. It's a picture of God's divine ownership and our human stewardship. And we're grateful to a God that's provided it all for us. And we have the privilege 
to give it back to God. Proverbs 3 uses this illustration of first fruits in verse 9 when it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. See, they connected the thought of this first fruits offering with the blessing of God in their life. And as believers, we need to make that connection as well. That this is a great God that spoils his children and he gives us so very much and we need to take the first part of that and give it to the Lord. Now, as the children of Israel were coming out of the wilderness and remember the time they're about to cross over Jordan, remember the, the spies, the two spies were sent out in the city of Jericho and, and they're marching around the city and, and the walls are about to fall down just before that, God gives a warning to the people through Joshua. And God simply says, don't touch the accursed thing. You're going to go in and all the silver and all the gold, everything, none of it belongs to you. Now that's a profound lesson. Because Jericho is the first city of many cities in this new land. And God was driving home this point of first fruits. He was simply saying to the nation, listen, you give God the first. You give God the best. And that's how a child of God ought to be looking at the resources that God provides for us. Now, although Joshua gave that stern warning, did everybody listen? Ah, oh, no. There's a fellow by the name of Achan. Remember him? All right. Uh, Achan, he's out in the field. I mean, there's just this bounty all over the place. He sees the silver, gold, uh, Babylonian garments, and, and he looks around. Is anybody looking? And, and, he, and he stoops down and uh, kind of maybe slips that into a robe somewhere and, and gets up, and the Bible says that he hides it there in his tent. God said, don't you touch it. It's not yours. It doesn't belong to you. It's the first fruits. It's the first city in the new land. By the way, was God gracious to them with all the other cities? Yes. They could have everything of all the other cities. It was just that first one that shared their heart, showed their relationship and love and, and appreciation to God for what He has done for them. And that's all God is trying to teach us in this New Testament age. And listen, when you put God first, seek ye first God's kingdom, all these things, it'll be added. It, it, it share, shares our heart condition. You know, the Lord Jesus Christ taught so much about stewardship and our human responsibility. But he gave the lesson, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And one of the warnings about our treasure being in the things of this earth, our heart will follow our treasure. But Jesus knows that if the first priority is God, our heart will follow our treasure to God. It's a matter of the heart. I realize we live in a world that is so materialistic in so many ways and that it's easy for us to maybe look at our stewardship in a way that somehow we can excuse the reality that God's prospered us and we need to lay by us in store. I love Proverbs 3 because it tells us that it's an issue of honor. 
Honor the Lord with your substance. Why, when that offering plate comes by, you know what you're doing? You're honoring God. You're taking the very first and you're giving it back to God. And, and the Word of God allows us to see, number one, His ownership, but then our stewardship. Then there's a promise from Proverbs 3.10, So shall thy barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. What's God saying? God's saying, listen, you'll have enough if you put me first. Now, you can go to different books in the Bible. Haggai is one of them, uh, where they were all worried about their house, not God's house. And God described what was going on as if they were putting money in bags with holes. <laughs> what was going on? They were not putting God first. O ye that dwell in your sealed houses, and God says through the prophet, and my house lies waste. Their priorities were mixed up. It was leftovers for God. And, and first of all, it was all about them. And God says, you can't get ahead that way. You want to have enough, plenty. You know, have you ever sat at a meal and here comes a second helping and you go, oh, man, I've had plenty. <laughs> I'm just full. That's all God's saying. God's not promising us we're all going to be millionaires. This is not a health, wealth, prosperity gospel. This is just the reality here that God is debtor to no man. God honors faith. By the way, it's faith. What are you doing? You're trusting that God's going to allow you to stretch the rest of that resource that he's given to you to meet the entire need. And, and you're, you're writing out a check. You know, whether I'm in town or out of town, we write a check. Uh, I, I know in the society that we live and the and, uh, way things are, it's easy for us to uh, be gone. And, and as we're gone, uh, we forget about the fact that God blessed us the week we were gone. And the reality is we ought to lay by us in store as God prospered us that week. And my wife, she's so good at this and so helpful. Uh, she'll make sure that that check is written out and left. Why? Because we want to give God every week an opportunity to know that we're putting him first in our life. He gets the first, not the leftovers. It's not, well, let me check my checkbook and see if there's anything left over. Because I had this bill and this bill and this bill and this bill. It's not how it works. In God's economy, it's put God first and then see what God does. So there has to be a recognition of his ownership, of our stewardship. And then God promises that he will supply all our need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You got a couple blanks there under this point. First things first. It's interesting the priority that Jesus had on certain things. First your brother, then your gift. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 and verse number 24. Therefore, if thou uh, bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath ought against thee, leave therefore thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, brother before the gift. By the way, it's possible for us to give grudgingly or of necessity. But the scripture tells us, but God loves what kind of a giver? Cheerful giver. So you can do the right thing with the wrong heart. You can obey God and yet not have 
the joy in your heart as you do it. You know, a cheerful giver, we get that word hilarious giver. Uh, it's a Greek word there. I haven't seen a whole lot of that in my life. You know, we're just, we're breaking out in laughter hilariously. Why? I get to give to the Lord. Woo! Big time. Pretty somber. <laughs> pass it, pass it, pass it. God loves a cheerful giver. God just enjoys seeing his people put him first. He enjoys seeing people grow in their faith. And and he wants to help all of us. I've got to be honest with you, I didn't always have this down. I mean, I struggled early on in my Christian life and my married life in this area, and I'm thankful I had a a godly deacon in our church that uh, was able to help me in that area. He's pretty wise. He got me to help count the money. And uh, there, uh, I'm just probably 20 years old, 21 years old. As, as after the offering, I'm one of the church tellers, and I'm, you know, counting and doing this and doing that. And he looks at me and says, Mark, you know, uh, I've, I've been noticing that I don't never see an envelope that comes through here with your name on it. <laughs> I'm going, whoops. And then I said, well, I like to give cash, you know. I like to keep that secret between, you know, I was being a little pious is what I was. And uh, he helped me. And he helped me to see the importance of putting God first. And I don't regret it at all. And I thank the Lord that he is the priority. And that all the blessings that we continue to have in our life really come from him. And I'm so grateful for God and for what he is doing. So uh, uh, first the brother, then the gift. First what Christ wants, then what we want. That's that second blank, Matthew 8, 21 and 22. You know, it's always, let me first. But the word of God says, no, put Christ first. And then the reminder, first the spiritual, then the temporal. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. What a blessing. So here Israel is coming into this new land, and God's giving them an opportunity at the harvest time to take the very first fruit of that harvest and offer it up willingly, cheerfully to God. And every time they did that, They were fulfilling a type, and that type is Jesus Christ and his resurrection. Every time they were obeying God in that regard, they were picturing our Savior not just crucified, but also risen. And this is a reminder, and it ought to be a recognition in our life concerning God's ownership and our human stewardship. Quickly, number two. Would you go with me to 1 Corinthians 15? I've tried to give you the New Testament um, along with the Old Testament, Leviticus chapter 23. And I want you to go with me to this resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. So number one, we see a recognition, but number two we see a resurrection. 
we see a resurrection. Now in this chapter, if you've been saved any length of time, you know this is one of the great passages in the Word of God on the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And by the way, all of Christianity hinges here on this reality. Matter of fact, three different times Paul says this would be vain. Verse 2, verse 14, verse 17. Without value, without power, meaningless. If Jesus did not rise from the dead. And so the resurrection is a big deal. And and as the resurrection truth is taught throughout this passage, right in the middle, we have some teaching here about the first fruits. So follow along as I begin reading verse number 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most uh, miserable. And what he's referring to is a Christ without a resurrection. A Christ that died but did not rise from the dead. Verse 20, But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. Now let me help you with something. In the Old Testament, they didn't have this concept of the resurrection of their Messiah. They thought their Messiah was coming as conquering king, not this lowly Savior. They were looking for that mighty general king that would throw off the bondage of Rome. They did not see this crucifixion. Although in type we find it throughout the Old Testament, Jesus tried to help his disciples with it. Uh, They they didn't understand all of it. And yet we see that uh, now in this New Testament age, they're putting the pieces together. The dots are connecting And so the Bible tells us there uh, in verse 21, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as an Adam all died, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. They knew of a general resurrection of the just and the unjust, but this resurrection that was the Messiah, and then also those that would believe him, that was more cloudy. That was a figure. That was a shadow as we look into the Scripture. But now it's a reality. And as we're writing about the resurrection, we're bringing in the truth of the first fruits, because Jesus Christ was the first of this harvest with the promise that there's a greater harvest that's yet to come. You say, who's that? Everybody that's saved will be a part of that greater harvest resurrection. Listen, there is no resurrection for me if Jesus didn't rise from the dead. I have a resurrection morning in my life. If I'm still in this body when Jesus comes, that resurrection is going to be in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. If this old body is placed there in a coffin and in the grave, there's a resurrection coming at that time that Jesus returns. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Comfort one another with these words. Oh, there's a resurrection coming either way. Uh, Either in death there's this resurrection or it's at the appearing of our Savior to meet Him in the clouds. 
And what a day that will be. Jesus was the first fruit offered to God. And every time that high priest came and grabbed those sheaves and and, and they uh, waved those before the Lord, it was a picture of this future resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and our resurrection to follow. Isn't that a wonderful word picture? Think about it. All right, here's one sheaf of wheat representing the Lord. And then there's all the rest of this harvest. And we're a part of that. Amazing how God became man. Yes, the Son of God, but the Son of Man. Born of a virgin. There he lived a life wrapped in humanity. So he could provide that perfect sacrifice for a holy God, that sinless sacrifice. And yes, in his Passover, we can rejoice in his death, but in the first fruits, we can rejoice in his resurrection because he is the first fruits, and we see there is yet more to come. So, letter A, the day that is specified. What is that day? Well, back in Leviticus chapter number 23, we saw it. It was the day after the morrow, after the Sabbath. After the Sabbath. That resurrection Sunday morning, that's the specific day. It's just amazing to me that the whole time, the whole time that these priests are going across and they're taking the sickle and they're grabbing the grain and they're bringing it back uh, there uh, to the temple and they're laying it out, waiting for the high priest to come, Jesus Christ that very same day is risen. And as that high priest with empty form grabs that sheaf of wheat and, uh, or barley harvest and starts waving that, uh, he doesn't even realize the greater picture. And the greater picture was that Jesus, the Messiah, he's risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a, what a God. What a, what a calendar that he stuck away in this little chapter in the book of Leviticus for us to see. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, died, buried, risen for us. Oh, what glory. Well, we see not only that the day is specified, but in the New Testament, that day, by the way, is commemorated by God's people for 2,000 years because it's on this first day of the week that God's people met together. And we see it throughout the New Testament, this gathering together, Acts 20, verse 7, 1 Corinthians 16, 1, upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by in store as God has prospered him. It was that first day of the week that they would gather together to worship and honor God. Why? A, a, a continuation of that first fruits, right? Uh, the Jewish economy, the Old Testament law, their worship was on the sixth day. We see here on the first day of the week, we give it to God. What a, what a, what a, what a difference. That God's first in our week. He's not the last day of our week. He's now the first of our week. And as believers, it's our desire to keep him in his proper place. I want to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
I want to keep God first in everything. And this first fruits help us, helps us to see just that. And then letter B, the doctrine that is signified. And we'll have to close here. We saw verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead. We recognize that Jesus was the first of a greater harvest that's yet to come. And it signifies what we're going to read later on in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. I know many nurseries uh, use some of these verses in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15. Uh, as, as a, a cute little uh, verse, verse 51, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed. All right, I've seen that in one or two nurseries. We shall not sleep, we shall be changed. But that's a reality. That's coming. The harvest is going to be reaped. And this first fruit signifies what God is going to do in and through us. First Thessalonians 4.16 says, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. There is a resurrection morning coming. And that resurrection helps us in so many ways to see. And, and let me just give you the, the sub-points here. Number one, uh, our association with the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is marvelous. We're, we're a part of this harvest. He's the first. He's the perfect man. He's the sinless man. And, and through his sacrifice, he made it possible for us to be reconciled to a holy God. And there was a great exchange that was taking place where, where he took our sin and he gave us his righteousness, the great transaction. And now I stand before God, not in the righteousness of Mark, but in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that all took place because of his finished work. And, and this first fruits tells us here that we are associated now with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. I just love that resurrection picture of Mary thinking she's bumping into the gardener. Remember that? <laughs> and what's one of the things that Jesus says? Don't touch me. I've not yet ascended here to the Father. But then he goes on and he lets her know that uh, uh, touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father, but go to my... This is the first time it's used in Scripture, brethren. Because of the finished work on the cross and the resurrection, we can now enter into a totally different relationship with our God as His child. Joint heirs with who? Christ. Do I understand it all? Absolutely not. But he, on that resurrection morning, on that first fruits morning, he reaches out and tells those women that came to prepare his body, he said, listen, tell the brethren, tell my brothers. <laughs> yeah. We're family. Everything is brand new. And it's all because of what Christ has done. It's our eternal family, our everlasting family. And, and, and all the blessing that we are associated in this harvest, 
We're associated because of the first fruits that was offered up to God the Father. And, and we are the rest of this harvest. The resurrection of Christ establishes a link that before was unknown between God and man. And now we have this eternal family relationship. It's like in a, in a brand new way we are able to be drawn nearer to God than we've ever been before. And it's all because of Jesus. Wow. Say, Pastor, how can you get so excited about these Old Testament dusty feasts? <laughs> because they're pictures of my Savior, Jesus. And if you can't get excited about Jesus... I'm not sure you'll be able to get excited about all too much. This is fulfillment of God's scripture. So, one, you see association. Number two, I want you to see acceptance. Acceptance. Back to chapter 23 of Leviticus, chapter 23. I'm going to read verse number 11 again. And he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted for you on the morrow after the Sabbath. The priest shall wave it. That's wonderful. Romans 4, 25 tells us that Jesus Christ was raised again for our justification. He's the risen ascended Savior. And now you and I have acceptance in the Beloved. God and this great gap between me and Him, a holy, righteous God, an unrighteous sinner, that gap was closed through the death and resurrection of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And all we need to do is come in faith and receive Him as our Savior. Not depending in my baptism or my good works or anything else. I am resting completely in Jesus alone. He is the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by Him. Oh, the blessing this morning to see that in the first fruit celebration, we have this association, we have acceptance and then lastly as we close we have assurance 1 Corinthians 15 connects us to the first fruits in this resurrection 1 Corinthians 15 lets us know that yes Jesus' resurrection that was first but there's a resurrection to come and I, and I just remember the, the text there on the resurrection where there are other bodies that were raised at the same time I think that was just to help the Christians understand that the resurrection of Christ is beyond just his resurrection. It's also encompassing other followers of the Lord. What an amazing thing that must have been, you know, to sing, see, uh, Uncle Harry, uh, uh, back from the dead. A picture of a resurrection that's going to extend to every believer who's trusted completely in Jesus Christ. What do we have? We have, we're associated now. We're kin. I'm in the family because of his death, burial, resurrection. By the way, isn't that the gospel according to the first couple of verses of 1 Corinthians 15? He describes what the gospel is. 
the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. That's the good news. And everything that was done was done through that death, that burial, that resurrection. And everything that I have and the change that's taken place in my life goes back to His finished work. And now I, in full assurance, can rest in His marvelous promises. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And let me close with just reading a few of these verses. Wherefore, uh, am I in the right chapter? I'm in 14. How about 15? Here we go. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. But I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be all be changed. All be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. Wow. That's our future. And it's all because of Christ and His work. And so when we think of the first fruits, we've got to think of the practicality of it. I want God first in every area of my life. That includes my stewardship of things that he's provided for me. And it also allows me not just to recognize he's the owner and I'm the steward, but also uh, his desire for me to think on his resurrection And to think on what that means as far as my association now with God the Father, I'm his child, his acceptance of me, and the assurance that I have that there's a resurrection coming in my life. He was first. The rest of the harvest will follow. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of Crown Point Baptist Church. If this message was a help to you, please feel free to share it on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.